This is The Bible in Depth with PJ. Join us as we take a deeper look into scriptures and study the Word of God together. Now here is Pastor Jim. Hey everybody, we're back. It's uh, midweek Bible study time again. We're in Colossians and... um, Remember, you can download this thing also. Uh, we have it here on Facebook, and I know most of you watch it on YouTube throughout the week, and appreciate that. You can share it with others uh, if it helps you or could you think it could help someone else. But my goal in this is to give you the full counsel of God, take it through books at a time. Sunday morning is topical, saying topical studies, but midweek I want to give you more within the, the verse-by-verse studies. Um, let me begin by saying this, because we're going to, jump into Colossians chapter 3 now. We're actually finished half the book, but uh, about, it's over 30 years ago. I was sitting in my office, I was a student ministries pastor, and there was a pimple, (laughs) there was a pimple on my arm. And I remember I popped it. And I didn't think nothing of it. Uh, I thought, well, I'm in my 30s and I have a pimple. But as minutes and then a few hours went by, something happened. And a red, like a, a coloring, started to go uh, down my arm. I remember that. I don't know, I'm going to reverse it. I think it was the other way. It started going this way. And, and I remember if I touched, if I just touched my arm where the red was, it was excruciating. I knew something was wrong. So what I did was I went and got some Heinz ketchup. And I poured ketchup on that red spot, rubbed it on there, and you know what? It healed that up. Now, if you believe that, I got some swampland for sale for an amazingly high price. Of course, I didn't use ketchup to fight off an infection. What I did was I went to the doctor because I knew something was wrong here. I got in the doctor's office. He saw my arm and he said, it's a good thing you came right away because this thing was spreading. And he gave me some very strong antibiotics to stop the movement of this infection in my arm. You see, there's only certain things can heal certain things. And that's true. What's true in the physical, it's true in the spiritual. We left off last week with all this religious activity, denial of self, self, uh, self-indulgence, etc. It, it does, it, it, all the religious activity does not stop fleshly desires. You know, that old you, that old me inside of us that wants to do some, some wrong stuff. Doesn't, doesn't help. You see, um, legalism is that idea that if, you know, if I do this, if I do this, if I follow this rule, follow this rule, follow this rule, follow this rule, then everything's going to turn out okay. My flesh will be kept in place. Mm, not quite. It's not how it works. Only Jesus, only Jesus can keep my flesh in check. And we're going to hit that heavy at the very end. But first, let's begin where we begin. The first thing I want to tell you today what Paul is saying to us is, is I have access to God's throne. I have access to God's throne. Now watch Colossians 3 and verse 1. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated. We're going to get to the seated part in our second thought today. At the right hand of God. Now, now think of the what he's saying. As a Christian... When I put my faith in Christ, I was raised up with Christ. And then he tells us where Christ is positionally right now. Seated next to the Father. Hmm. But I've been raised up with Christ, so I'm with Him. 
And He is seated next to the Father. That means wherever I'm at, whatever I'm doing, wherever I'm driving, I have access to the throne of God. And the writer of Hebrews tells me because of the God's grace, <laughs> I can draw boldly to that throne anytime I want to. What a transformation or a change where in the, in the Old Testament, they had to go to Jerusalem to the temple to, to have access to God. And the men had to do that three times a year. But now, we have access to God anywhere. I can, I can have access to him anywhere. I can start talking to him, start praying with him, except anywhere. Now, I've been to Washington, D.C. a couple of times, and I know there's been a lot of crazy stuff there. But let me tell you, <clears throat> if you ever get a chance to go see the nation's capital, go. Because everything's free. <laughs> All the museums, everything. And I love museums. As I got older, I love museums. First time I went, 1980. Last time I went was about... Mm, I'd say six years ago. And uh, let me tell you, you walk around there, but what if, what if I was standing out there and back six years ago they had police cars in front of the White House, had them in back of the White House, you couldn't drive on the streets, it was so different from 1980. But what if I just said, I want to go meet the president? And I just decided to run past the security and <laughs> towards the White House. You think I'd make it? No, 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 no. They would intercept me, possibly hurt me, maybe kill me. <laughs> because you just can't do that. Because, you know, they don't know if I'm a crazy person or not. But here's the deal. As a Christian, I can run right to the office of the king of the universe anytime I want to. Anytime you want to. Do you know why? Do you know why? Because the blood of Jesus has washed away our sins. And there's nothing standing in the way between us and God. And because Paul said it, we're already there. We're raised up with Christ, and Christ is seated next to the Father. We're already there. And when you get that kind of thinking in you, that truth in you, you have no problem, no problem talking to God. You have no problem sharing with the Father. You have access to the throne any time you want. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Well, Jim, you know, yesterday I said, you're under the blood. The grace of God and the mercy of God gives you the boldness to come before the throne of God. Never forget that. Now, the second thing I want to tell you today is Jesus' work is a finished work. Hmm. Um, have you ever hired somebody to do something at your house, you know, a job or some project, and they only partially do it, and they run off with, with your money? That's a ripoff. I'm sure that's happened to some of you. They just partially do the work. They never finish the job. Well, Jesus' work, what he did, is a finished work. Colossians 3.1, I won't read it again, but notice is that Jesus is seated up there with God the Father. And that's an important statement, seated. Because in the Old Testament, the temple priests, they never sat down because their work was never done as they were ministering in the temple. But our high priest, according to Hebrews, Jesus is our high priest, he is seated here because it's a finished work. He completed the work 
of saving us. He completed the work of salvation. That's why Jesus says on the cross, it is finished. And he sat down at the right hand of the Father. It's a complete work. But let me string this out a bit. Let me share with you something that you need to understand because there's this flip side to this whole thing. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, there's a little bit of responsibility on our side here. Now, let me read these verses, then I'm going to take this, this idea further. It says in verse 5 of Philippians 1, In view of your participation in the gospel, notice participation in the gospel, from the first day until now. In other words, when you first got saved until this moment in time. I am confident, Paul says, that I'm really confident about something. I'm confident of this very thing. That he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Mm -mm -mm. I love those two verses. Let me tell you why. He's talking to saved folk. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. Paul says, I'm really confident. I'm confident in God that God who began this work in you, the moment of salvation, the moment the Spirit of God came in you, God began a good work in you and me. Salvation. It's complete. It's perfect. That God will finish what He started. He'll finish this work. We're saved. We're going to heaven. But there's a work to do. He begins rebuilding the parts of our life that need rebuilding. And you know we all have broken pieces. And if you haven't figured that one out, you just ask Ask your spouse or your family or your kids. They'll tell you the broken parts of your life. But God's going to finish what He starts. But here's the thing. In Philippians 1.5, we just don't catch what He says there because we love verse 6 so much. He says, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, from the moment you got saved, to right now, you're participating in the gospel. You're moving on these things. You're acting on these things. You're living out these things. He says, because of that, I'm so confident that God's going to finish what He started. Because it's not that God is backing off. It's you and I got to keep moving in it. We got to participate in the gospel. Have you ever um, driven by a house in a neighborhood or your neighborhood and there's a car that's been there in that same spot for months? Maybe even a couple of years, never moves. And, you know, right away, soon it's just covered with dust and bird droppings. And after a few months, the tires go flat. One day you come by, somebody's broken out a, a window, and that car just sits there. Why is it falling apart? It's not being used. It was meant to be driven. It's meant to be started up. It's meant to participate with you in the function of driving around, but it's not being used. And so it's falling apart. It's regressing. I think that can happen in our faith. If we're not participating in the gospel, not getting involved in these things, living, starting to live more and more what it says, start doing what it says to do, well, we can regress. We can start falling apart again. Nothing grows. Nothing changes. We just get stuck. Soon we look like that car. And that's not what you want. I, I think that that must really grieve the Holy Spirit. It must grieve the Spirit of God. Now, Jesus came. He did all the work to help us and 
we become content to just believe but not participate in the rebuilding project of our lives? No, 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 no. You got to participate. If you really want to see growth, you want to see something happen in your life, you want to see the broken parts fixed, you got to participate in this gospel. You know, there's, there's two types of sin, if you really want to boil it down. There's um, the sin of commission. You committed something you shouldn't have done. You committed a sin. But the, the one sin that Christians forget, uh, maybe they don't, maybe it's my fault for not teaching enough, but it's a sin of omission. You're omitting things. Jesus said this in Matthew 23, you omit these things. It's a sin of omission. It says it live this way, or should say, do this, do this, do this, and we don't. We just omit it. That's as much a sin as a sin of, of commitment. You, we look at people and say, oh, they did that, they did that. Well, you know what? Okay, but what are you omitting? What aren't you doing that it says to do? You better take that one into consideration too. Now, I got to move on. The third thing that Paul says here is this. Don't get too attached to the temporary. Now, look at verse 2 of Colossians 3. He says, Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Oh, wow, that's interesting, isn't it? So, every year, we take a family vacation, every year, for a week. Um, this year, I don't know if we can, because now that everybody's getting back out again, everything got booked up so fast, but, you know, we've been doing this for decades. And we go to a certain city, we're in a, a house in a certain city in the area there, and we just relax and have fun. And the house comes with flat screens and couches and refrigerators, sometimes has a jacuzzi, etc., stuff like that. Now, while I'm there, as much as I love it, I don't get too attached to the stuff in that house because the house, I'm renting it. It's a temporary living situation for us. My real home, back in Corona. Listen, listen, listen. Set your mind on your real home, on the things above. Set your mind on your real home. Set it on heaven. And don't get, and that just means don't get too attached to stuff down here in the world of the temporary. You know, Jesus, he gives us a brilliant way to live in Matthew chapter 6, like verses 19 and 21. He says, um, don't set your heart on the things of this earth where, where moth and rust destroy and where people can break in and steal your stuff. And I've had my house broken in two years ago, and maybe some of you have. He says, don't, don't set your mind. Don't make this your highest affection. Don't make this a thing. He says, set your mind, your heart, on heaven. Because no moth can destroy, no rust can destroy, and no, nobody can break into heaven and steal anything there. Nobody can break into heaven and steal Jesus from me. Jesus is not in heaven going, well, I hope no one breaks in. I hope we got the alarm system on. He's not doing that because no one can break in there. See, Jesus gives the great truth. Make your highest affection and your attachment heaven, Jesus. And don't get too attached on the things of the temporary. Set your mind up there, not on the things here. And by the way, on setting your mind on the things of heaven, oh man, I, I just encourage you, whoever's watching this, please start reading your Bible. Please. Because this world has so many upside-down thinkings in it now, or when I, by world, I mean the culture. 
you need to get your mindset this way, not this way. Because this way is going to mess you up. You need to think this way. Get the clear thing. Get the truth of God's Word. This is absolute truth. And live that. And do not be swayed in it whatsoever. Now, and now Paul's going to tell us why we don't get attached uh, to the temporary. And that's the fourth thing I want to tell you. He says, we are dead and we are hidden. <laughs> now, look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. Interesting. Uh, he says, uh, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. So he says two things. You died and your life is hidden. Uh, question. Do dead people have desires? And the answer is no. You take whatever your favorite food is, and I'll just use one of my favorites. You take uh, an In-N-Out burger and fries, and you hold it up at a funeral to the nose of a dead person in a casket. I know it's kind of a weird illustration, but it's the best one I can come up with. Will that person wake up and lunge and try to bite that burger and get some fries? No! Why? They're dead! If you held up 10 crisp $100 bills to that person in that casket, would they grab for it? No! They're dead! Dead people have no desires. Okay, got it? Dead people have died to the things of this world. Now that's going to be huge in our teaching to come in the weeks here. <clears throat> but we're dead. We died in Christ. We're dead of these things. Doesn't mean I can't utilize things. I just don't get too attached to it. I'm dead to it. I'm dead to the ways of the world. I'm dead to the thinking of the world. But not only am I dead, Paul says, I'm hidden. I'm hidden in Christ. It brings up an important statement or question, however you want to put it. Who should be seen, us or Christ? Christ. Christ. That means my faith, who Jesus is living in me, should be manifesting out, and people should see more and more of Jesus, and less and less of the old Jim who died and I'm hidden with Christ. I'll give you another thing on hidden real quick, and then i got to finish, or move on, I should say. You know, Pontius Pilate, when he's examining Jesus, and they're saying Jesus is a sinner, they made a, they brought Jesus on trial, trumped up charges, they, nothing, none of it was true whatsoever, none of it, but you know, how people of power do it. But um, they just want him dead. And so, um, and Pilate makes a great statement, he says, I find no fault in him, in Jesus. Whoa. I find no fault, no sin, in Jesus. Sinless perfection. Question, are you, in, are you and I in Christ? Yes. And Pilate made the clear, true statement, there's no fault in Jesus. If I'm in Jesus and you're in Jesus, and we're under the blood of Jesus, is there fault in us? Is there sin in us? Nope, it's all washed away. Isn't that great? We see, when you're hidden in Christ, you take on uh, the finished work of Christ, and you know your sinless perfection. That's called your standing before God because of justification. You're declared innocent. I like that a lot. Now, <clears throat> the, the goal of our faith is to manifest the life of Christ because we died. Now, notice, look at verse 4 of Colossians 3. It says, When Christ, who is our life, 
Oh, man, let me say it again. When Christ, who is our life, say life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Let me, let me just kind of jump on that statement. Christ is our life right now. I love sports, but sports not my life. I love work, but work's not my life. I love my marriage, marriage not my life. I love my leisure, and leisure's not my life. I love Freddy Steakburgers, Freddy Steakburgers, not my life. Jesus is my life, which means he's the only one that gives me life. I, I love this illustration. I'm, I'm going to share it with you. I share it probably every couple of months because I just want people to get it. Jesus is our life. One day, Jesus, um, he tells a story of a man delivered from uh, a demon, and the demon leaves. But then he comes back, and he finds the man, it, Jesus used the terminology of the house, it's a man's life, swept and put in order, but it's not occupied. So what does that demon do? He comes back, and he occupies that life again, and he brings more demons with it. What's the lesson that Jesus is teaching us? Because there's a big lesson in that. Christianity is not self-improvement. You can go to the store and find all the self-help books you want. Okay, but Christianity is not self-improvement. It's not about self. It is self-replacement. See, that house was swept in an order, but nothing was occupying it. A lot of people try to clean their lives up, get it in order, but nothing's occupying. You need Jesus to occupy your life, Jesus to come into your life. That's not self-improvement, that's self-replacement, because Jesus becomes your life. And when He becomes your life and you are replaced, well, you've died. And you no longer are so attached to the things of this world, because your mind is set in heaven, and you are hidden in Christ, you're under the blood of Jesus, you're declared innocent. Remember that. It's not about self-improvement, it's self-replacement. Jesus becomes my life, and I die. Oh, amen. I'm going to stop right there. Uh, we'll pick it up next time where we left off. God bless you guys. You have a great day. Thank you for joining us. If you have any questions or need prayer, please send us an email to hello at nbcc.com. We'd love it if you would subscribe to this podcast and take a second to rate it. Until then, we'll see you next time.